Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Okay, uh, thank you very much. Uh, Sim has given us a, a little bit of an introduction that we've been here um, on and off for ages. I would just like to say that we, uh, one of the reasons or one of the contributing factors to us uh, joining the church was the hospitality offered and the welcome, which was Roger and Pat Bellis. Um, and uh, it's amazing. The At the time, we were literally sort of window shopping for churches as students, and we wandered in from North Baddersley, and um, it was partly due to that, so thanks to Roger and Pat. So we have been coming and going. Uh, when we were living full-time in Uganda, we did indeed uh, get be part of a house group slash church family. We lived in Kampala in the capital city, and we went to an international church there, and then we were working a couple of hours, hour and a half, up at the school at Wobbelenzi. Some of you heard that name. And we used to uh, mostly be at, in, because of our kids being at school, we mostly in Kampala at the weekend, joined the International Church, uh, which I found completely weird at first. And then we're part of a house group. I used to delegate going to house group to Jerry on the theory because I was helping the kids with their homework. And then when the people leading the group, British couple, left, they were looking for people to take it on. I didn't think that was us. And uh, after a lot of debate, it was us. So the first slide, oh yeah, here we are, this side and that side, that's a, very, that's a Ugandanism. When we come back, they say, greet everyone on that side. All those people in London, you greet them. So when we're in Uganda, this is that side, and now they are that side. So can we just go on to, just very quickly, so these are, this is the renegades of our group in our house. Um, as, uh, Jenny, our American friend who was staying in our house recently, she's there. And then the next one, grinning people. Uh, some people were about to leave then. Some people had just arrived. There's Michelle down there. I don't know where Phil was then. Uh, next one. Yeah, another group, and that's shortly before we left. And the group was constantly changing, and that was quite a challenge. Changing mixes of nationalities and uh, people from all over the place. And then the next one. Oh, there's Nick, who'd sort of lurked, jumped into the photo there. He'd come out to really encourage us, Jenny, too and uh, drinking Coca-Cola on a Sunday after church. Okay, thank you, for, thank you very much. I'd like to go a little bit uh, further back uh, to just explain about where I come from in my background, um, and uh, Jerry too, I'm going to throw in a bit of his family too, with hospitality. Um, I discovered, listening to Sim, that we had quite a lot in common, which I found really interesting. And there were three things that jumped out. One is we share a history of homemade jumpers getting passed down. I don't know, where were you in the pecking order of school? You? Three. Number three, so I'm number four. And so I had some, there were some pretty horrific jumpers that ended up my way, which appear in family photos, which was just hideous. Um, then the next thing that we have in common is that we were allowed schlur at Christmas only, because uh, my parents uh, were completely teetotal. And then the other thing that I discovered that we had in common was parents with, um, uh, perhaps the, you know, the mums behind that, parents with an idea of an elastic table, an extended table, extendable table, on particularly on Sundays, sometimes Christmases. And I found the same thing when I met Jerry's family, that there would often be lots of random people there for meals. And although they were a family of six, there would be lots of extras. And I 
didn't, as a child, sometimes found that challenging, sometimes deeply irritating, because you kind of want your parents to kind of be running around you and not kind of running around the visitors. And the food, my mum would have cooked a roast or something or other, that would then have to stretch to how many people pitched up. Uh, my dad even has a phrase when the, you know you had a chance with seconds being offered. My dad had a phrase. She'd just look over his glasses a bit like I am now. He's quite headmastery, which was anybody like any more FHB, which means family hold back, which means you can't say yeah I'll have seconds until everybody else has said whether they like something or not. So you know you got you got the look. So that was quite funny. It extended also to. Um, uh, my uh, siblings, my sisters and my brother bringing back other students, other random people. My sister would bring people back from university, uh, students who couldn't go home, overseas students. They'd appear at Christmas time. My parents would invite people for Christmas. They thought they might be on their own. And I do remember sort of remonstrating with, oh, I thought it was just us for Christmas, like that. And my dad actually just taking me aside and saying, we have so much with each other. We have been blessed with so much. I think we can extend to Christmas sharing it with other people. And it was, it was a little bit of a stern talking to because I was just having a bit of a strop. And my mum would do uh, Christmas presents for them. She would do Christmas stockings and uh, just go the whole, whole hog, which was great. So that was the background. I saw the same thing with Jerry's parents. There was just a general kind of hospitality. Just like to point out the Ugandan flavour Top Ugandan snack, chapati and bananas. Didn't manage any pineapples, but think about that later. Okay, so that's the, that's the sort of top snack you might get if somebody drops in to see you in Uganda. Trevor reminded us last week um, of the definition that Sim brought before, that the hospitality, the sort of root words of philo and xenia, and it extends, uh, it basically translating as love of strangers. I found another alternative definition that neither of them shared with us, which could be making your guests feel at home, even though you wish they were. Uh, I don't think we're really going to talk. I may have felt that occasionally. Uh, <laughs> I don't even talk about that too much. But how do we, how do, we do it? It's, it's so easy to be friendly with your friends. It's so easy to invite round the people that you naturally hang out with. Um, I, if you know, Neil and Judith come round, we've known them for so long, I, not say I don't make an effort, but you, I, I don't really have to think about it. I don't, I know people walk into our house and go, hmm, your kitchen looks so lived in. I know that's a code for messy. I know, oh, your, your house is so homely. Yeah, that means with this clutter around. Actually, I now I don't care. <laughs> so you won't find a show home. Sorry, Jem. Uh, you won't find a show home. But it's, it's kind of, I think it's important that people do feel at home. Never mind about what you're thinking in your head. But we're going to look at what's in our heads. As a student, I, had, I studied in France for about a year, academic year. And I was on the receiving end of extraordinary hospitality. I had so looked forward to this year. This was my kind of, you know, part of my becoming, you know, just let's, let's face it. I just wanted to be European. Let's not go down that. Living in France, going to be living the dream. I was so looking forward to it as part of my course. It's really the only reason I signed up to the course was to get a jammy for a year abroad. 
and just pretend I was French. Uh, and it was awful. It was awful. For the first time in my life, I felt really isolated and I felt, uh, I felt a real loser on many, many occasions, particularly at weekends. And the only thing that got me through the year, which I thought was going to be fabulous, and I'd be far too busy being glamorous to notice, and the only thing that got me through was to join a very small Christian fellowship. And Protestant Christian fellowships are pretty thin on the ground. And I found a group of Christians in the church where I was, uh, in, the, in the tiny town where I was. And they kept me sane. They kept my batteries recharged. And on Sundays, they would often say, would you, I went to French, would you like to come and eat with us? And I don't think I was looking particularly sort of hungry or lonely or sad, but they would often say, just come and eat with us. Have you got any plans for lunch? I never had plans for lunch. And they often fed me. And one plate of, you know, meat and potatoes and stuff would go to, I don't know, about 15 or 20 of us. And it, that was such an eye-opener to me to be on the receiving end of amazing hospitality. And uh, years later, I found that those people running that church fellowship had connections with a church fellowship that Phil and Michelle went to when they were living in France. So, you know, the, the network kind of goes quite far, doesn't it? But that really taught me uh, about Sundays and how Sundays can, can feel very weird when you, when you don't particularly feel connected. And that, I think, sometimes drove us to make very specific decisions in Uganda, um, when we were newly married, had a ha we had a house, we lived in Bannersley. Um, I thought hospitality was a thing to do because that's what our parents had done. And I was saying to Sim, we made some hilarious mistakes. It doesn't always go right. We don't have it all sewn up. We've, had, we've made some cracking howlers. Once I, I learned how to not to do, oh, would anybody like to come over? Would, it, would anyone like to come round? It was one particular evening. <laughs> if you remember, it's seared in my memory. We did invite the whole church round, but I didn't anyone kind of notice and uh, nobody turned up for about two or three hours. And then, we hadn't quite gone out into the highways and the byways. And then a couple of people did turn up. And they were kind of really awkward together and really awkward with us. It was like the worst evening ever. And you felt like, I'm not doing that again. And uh, another occasion, we invited the neighbors around. Thought, oh, we just get out all the stuff we've been given as wedding presents. You know, these fancy kind of glasses and cutlery and lay the table looking all fancy. And months later, months later, the lady next door, because they, they never had us round again and we chatted over the fence, and months later she said, do you know, that was so intimidating. I thought you ate like that all the time. <laughs> she said, I said, I can't cook, so I couldn't invite you back. And eventually we did go around and we, we had a lovely evening with them. But I just thought I was having fun putting out all our new toys and things, new sets of what have you, and... She was, she was horrified. So you just have to be a little bit careful. I felt right, I'm not doing that again. Anyway, let's have a look at the passage, because that's the key, uh, the key thing to talk about today, please. And it's in the middle of chapter all about living by love, or living in love, and living and looking out. You put it in the context of the whole chapter, and it's really significant. Love must be sincere. So never mind about that wishing they'd already gone home. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. I can read it here. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. 
And that may mean putting other people first. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. When people don't turn up. Faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. And there it is. Practice hospitality. Now, practice, I think here just means get on with it. Another translation is be inventive with hospitality. Practice just could mean keep having a go till you get it right. So you can take any meaning of practice. Bless those who persecute you and complain about your food. Or bless people, bless those who are giving you a hard time. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And I, I didn't need to, but I included the rest of this passage because I think that teaches us even more about hospitality, particularly in a context where we're not so comfortable. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible... And as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It may not be possible, but as far as is possible. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Okay, so that's, that's the passage. I'd like to just tell you a little bit about what we did in Uganda. We inherited this group, and as I say, I was incredibly grumpy about it. Uh, I really felt that we had enough going on, uh, traveling up to school every day, and the driving, those of you who've driven with us in Uganda know that it's quite an interesting commute on top of doing a day's work. And I felt that, you know, we were doing enough I was feeling virtuous enough. I really didn't need to be nice to that many more people in the evening. Anyway, the house group relocated to our place, and it was fine. Uganda is more akin, I think, to Jewish hospitality in terms of the value of food and the value uh, placed on sharing what you have with people. I think we kind of see meal sharing perhaps as sort of something we can compartmentalize. There, it's kind of right through, I suppose, almost in the DNA of how you uh, relate to people, how you talk to people, and actually what it means. You could have great discussions with people about something, but if there was food involved, if there was drink involved, it was just on another level. It sends out a value and sends out a message of importance of how you see those people, which we, which we learned. Um, and I, when Trevor mentioned about Abraham, I had been thinking about, about that passage, but I think we just can remember what he said about it, that it was really reaching out to, to strangers. Now, our photos, you could see, very much vary in makeup uh, to do with uh, nationality. The, the people kind of, it was a real sort of swill in and out, like a tidal move of people coming into Uganda and out of Uganda as contracts started and ended as people uh, left, as people moved on, and the U Ugandan population in the church, they are the constant. And we felt we needed to respect that and really appreciate that. As other people just came and went and came and went, 
the Ugandan members of our group, they were the constant. Some of them had not been well treated by uh, the expat population, and they'd been uh, treated with, uh, you know, they felt sort of been put at a distance. And we, we learned that we were coming into uh, a situation where people had not felt so comfortable about uh, intercultural groups. So we took on the group. Uh, there was sort of lots different different Europeans, uh, Dutch, uh, German, Swedish, uh, some Malaysian people, Americans, Ugandans, Tanzanians, Kenyans, Rwandans, from all over. Uh, it's a good job, I think. Now it's a good job. I didn't know too much about how different people really were. You could have uh, one tribal, even within Uganda, there are many different tribal groups. And although people often in the church incredibly well-educated, some had studied abroad, uh, they just had sort of different views of looking at things. I discovered uh, about a month before we left that one group, in fact, the group that dominates in the Kampala area, they think it's quite rude to <laughs> talk and chat while you're eating. <laughs> and we'd been doing it for years. And... I thought, oh, no wonder when I go into the staff room, well, Belenzi, to talk to the, to talk to the teachers, I'm going in with a European. Guys, we're all here together. Everybody's having a cup of tea. This is a great moment to have a little catch-up on the teacher training, and everybody's sort of busy eating. And I, I found out after years, I actually think I'm really rude. Now they laugh about it, and they just, we're allowed to talk. But at the time, you, you can make a faux pas without realising, but people were very forgiving. So some people who thought it was rude to eat uh, a talk at the same time as eating. Uh, so it's very normal in, in, in a Ugandan context when you come and, you know, when we have a sort of a buffet or a church meal, people just help themselves a little bit on the plate. It's really normal to pile your plate as if you're the last person in the room. You don't actually need to look and go, oh, there's another 70 people to come or another 10 people to come. I'm just going to take... And it's not rude. Well, I just think, What? You know, we have so many pieces of cake, and you took four, okay? So you, you, you kind of learn to kind of just, you have to, la you have to laugh a lot off and just sort of, you know, some people would uh, come for house group, think it's absolutely fine to go up and light up a cigarette straight away. Some people think it's absolutely fine to go and have a beer straight afterwards. Some people are utterly appalled that you've got alcohol in the house. Some people... Um, in a, in, a, in a Ugandan context, it is quite acceptable to use, I'm, I'm just using this as a quotation, quite acceptable to exclaim, oh my God, or Jesus Christ, in appreciation of something. If I did that at home, probably even now, my mum would wash my mouth out with soap, literally, fairy liquid in the mouth. No, yeah, no holds barred. So there's all this sort of melting pot of different things. We were coming in late, we were sometimes uh, eating and still eating as the group were arriving for the evening meal. And after, I don't know, a few weeks, we decided the easiest thing was just to eat together. Then it stopped us. I mean, it started quite selfishly. We were just extending the table and I was extending the meal. So we would quite often have curry. We do eat quite a lot of curry in our house due to family connections. But actually, it's the best thing you can do with lots of random vegetables in Uganda when the meat's a little bit sparse. So we would eat a lot of curry. We discovered that Ugandans don't really eat curry that much and we're often on fire and sweating profusely. So uh, Jerry used to sabotage it from time to time for fun. 
And uh, we would have different pots of different strengths around. Uh, sometimes we'd have soup and bread. If anybody's been to us for a really extensive dinner party, we will often do soup and bread because there's no point in showing off with food. Uh, we needed a practical answer to a sort of practical problem. And then uh, we discovered how well it worked for our group. And the group grew and grew. Yes, partly because of free food, but because it just extended the evening and it made people quite relaxed. And for the person who felt, who came to the group with issues of being treated differently, I think she had rarely eaten uh, in a house with someone from a different nationality within her own country. She felt she was treated with hostility, uh, hostility, not hospitality, uh, because of her nationality, which I found quite hard. So food is definitely currency. And a little aside, uh, the last time I was there, the last time we were there, Jerry and I were traveling south from uh, the northern, far northern reaches of Gulu, traveling to Wabalenzi. And I uh, really wanted to catch up with a student who used to lead the church a few years ago. A lot of you would, uh, would remember him. He was called Akik or Tibimanya Moses. He used to lead the church. He was just a brilliant, brilliant student. But he was the head of a child-led household, which means there were no parents. He'd been left the land, and he would always put his younger siblings into school first with the little money he had before he came back himself. He was always late arriving, and all you know, you're never really sure how long he could stay until the money money ran out. And it's it's really hard when you see that. Anyway, before the year before his A-levels, he dropped out of school. He said, I've got family issues to attend to. I've decided not to come back. We sort of vaguely kept in touch the odd text and sometimes would phone up. We decided to try and call him. We knew he'd recently got married. And I uh, wasn't sure what we were going to find. We eventually found the village. We had copious, uh, copious directions on how to get there. And when we got there, he came to meet us. And he said, when you park your car here, I'd like to show you around my village. And I'm like, we leave this car here, the wing mirrors are going to have gone by the time we come back. So I'm like, do you think we can leave the car? Yeah, we have to go, we have to go. So we walked around the village, spent ages walking through banana plantations, and this is this, and I've, uh, this is my land, so I've, lend, I've lend, lent stuff, and I've rented some land out to these people, because they're refugees from... Uh, where are they from? Are they from South Sudan and Western Uganda? From all over the place. And he had this sort of, he'd created this haven for other refugees. And I knew that he, he just doesn't have much. He's now, he's probably about Jake's age now. He's probably about 25, 26. His wife had recently had a baby, so we didn't see her. And then we walked and walked and walked and walked. I'm still thinking about the car. Walked and walked and walked. We came to a house. Again, we invited. I was like, oh, no, it's going to be a long meal. We need to get back before dark. And he called out a member of the family. And a sister or a cousin came out with this bundle of feathers. It was a live chicken going, great, it's got to go in the car. And it was a really well-fed, kind of seriously smart-looking cockerel. I hate them. And... Uh, and I was just thinking, do I give the sort of the kind of the mzungu, the white person? He says, well, we've got dogs in the house. When we get home, the dogs are in the like, just We have to accept the chicken. Accept the chicken. Have to accept the chicken. Don't say anything. Thank you so much. Talk about wearing a mask. The chicken, yes. And we had to, so we continued the rest of the visit. I got to hold the chicken. Scratchy, squawky thing. 
because I got it in sort of like an arm wrestle. <laughs> I strangled it by the time we get back to the car. And we drove back another couple of hours, another three hours, with the chicken trussed up in the back of the car. It was impossible. And the... I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story of the chicken. But the point is that Moses had shared something extraordinary with us. I don't even want to buy chickens with feathers in Uganda. I, if we buy it, chicken is rare, but if we get hold of it, I will buy it from a supermarket. <laughs> I don't want to pluck and debone all that sort of nonsense. Uh, I'd rather be a vegetarian forever than have to do that. Anyway, there was the chicken. And he had given us so much, so much. And I, it was very, very humbling. And we shared the chicken with Charles and his family. And, they, and that's another chicken story. What does extended hospitality do? I thought of four powerful effects that hospitality can do and we'll look in a in a while about actually what we have to do I'm, and I'm not talking about having people around for food it's not as it's not as constrained as that it's a great big elastic subject four things number one it opens the door and it builds a bridge it reduces and eases suspicion. We all need to eat. Most people like eating something at some point. It can be food related. It can be even a card or a word related. But if you share hospitality, share something of your life, your family, your way of doing things, it can really diffuse a little bit of suspicion or awkwardness. It is brilliant for the church to do it is brilliant as christians to do that because it's so unbelievably normal it's so normal to do we don't need to feel uptight about it i've got through difficult teachers meetings alpha courses with huge random mixes of people and deal, dealt with tensions with neighbors just by something to do with food. With teachers' meetings in um, Uganda can go on for hours and hours and hours. They are so much better when you have cake. And, <laughs> and it's become a bit of a standing joke. It also means that the teachers will come, which I've also used shamelessly uh, for teacher training. Uh, but that can work for this type of food as well, because food is particularly there. Uh, you cannot assume that people come to work having had breakfast. You cannot assume that by the afternoon, people, some people may not even have had lunch. So it's, I, I also feel it's a very humane thing to do, uh, partly because I know we're in a position to be able to buy a big load of bananas or a load of chapati or some drinks or something. But if we have it, we should share it. And that's, that's what I saw just simply through church living and through our parents. So number one, it opens the door and builds a bridge. Number two, talking about building, it lays the foundation for conversations later on. It lays a foundation for conversations later on. And it lays a foundation for relationships to grow. I was utterly dreading Nick and Petra. They're not here, so I can do this. I was utterly dreading Nick and Petra coming on Alpha Course. 
uh, in our house because I knew there was one session that would be really tricky, which was the, se uh, the session on, does God still heal today? And as the weeks went past, I was like, next week is going to be really tricky. And it was tricky. Um, but the fact that we'd spent weeks and weeks already by then chatting and eating and sharing meant that we had, you know, the foundation is there for when the difficulty comes. I think when I'm not, an, I'm not a natural evangelist, uh, when we were in a youth group together, if they mentioned, let's go door knocking around the streets of Red Reading, I would, I would invent any fever, any excuse not to go. I really hated that sort of confrontational talking on the streets, that sort of face-to-face. -face. It's not my thing at all. But food and hospitality is sort of covert evangelism, and I'm one I'm much more comfortable with. And it lays a foundation, it lay, gives you credibility for when people do come, do come and talk to you about something that's really burdening them or giving them, giving them a lot of personal pain. If you've shared meals, you've shared hours, you've shared children, you've, you know, you, you've, you've done those things together, you've had a laugh in common, you've you even maybe just sharing something with, somebody, something with somebody in a shop or somebody you meet on the street, you've got a foundation for something else. What else? It's a great example for your children. It's a great example for other people in the church. But if you do have kids, I think it's astonishing for them to see you share and for them to see you extending your table. I know we've both uh, really been inspired by that. And I think we found it utterly normal to have, to be part of an extended table. And after a while, I really started to enjoy it. I really started to enjoy the conversations with people who came from Ghana and boiled the chicken, to my mother's horror, boiled another chicken for five hours or six hours until the bones became so soft you were supposed to eat them. My mom was like, what is that? And I just thought this was amazing. You could, like, eat the whole thing. And just people who showed you flavors of a different culture showed you flavors of different ways of living. And I think I see that in our own kids, that they are comfortable in sharing sort of food, sharing hospitality, extending the table. And I think it's really important because in this day when, and this is the fourth point, it's countercultural sometimes and it's counterintuitive to share too much and to allow unknown people too near your family space. We're very, very cautious these days. I think in comparison. And I think it's really good to send out a strong and different message. So number one, hospitality opens the door. Number two, it lays a foundation. Number three, it's a great example to our children and to younger people to show this is how it can work. And number four, it's countercultural and counterintuitive. In our current climate, my, my nephews emigrated to Canada. I wouldn't, wouldn't say he has a strong, I wouldn't say he has an overt faith, but he has been brought up with elastic table principles. And he and his wife have been matched, partnered or twinned with a Syrian family with three kids who've just been plonked in the middle of, I don't know, Winnipeg, where it's like minus 40 or something nonsense for about five months of the year. And their job, or their, what they've done by joining this organization is to go out and do stuff with the family. Just 
just do stuff, share kids, that sort of thing. A friend of ours lives in Harrow in a really multicultural church, and they quite often have a meal where people from, coming from different cultures bring different meals to the church lunch. We can do curry, that's okay. Uh, there's a lot that literally is brought to the table. But we want to protect our space, our privacy, our, oh, my kids need to do their homework, or this, and you know, much as I was trying to do. And I think this breaks through the veneer that we, that we, that we have. You see, people are great at helping on a big scale, aren't they? It's a huge crisis. Calais, and Romsey's like collecting sleeping bags like they're going out of fashion. Syria, the Grenfell collection, uh, unimaginable, you know, big, big things. And they are right and proper and good. And people think nothing of, yes, we'll do this. But actually, all around us, all the time, people are struggling with the daily, grinding, relentless, hopelessness of life. Just getting the kids to school, just managing family relationships, just coping. And that's, I mean, amazing, really, what the, the CAP is doing, Food Bank is doing. It's getting below that veneer that nobody thinks that could exist in Hampshire or in Romsey. I taught in Winchester for quite a while. And a friend of mine who taught in a very roughy-tuffy school in Essex used to give me a really hard time. But I teach in Winchester. <laughs> Marvellous. But you don't have any problem, kids. And I used to get really cross because within our catchment area, there were some very fancy kids and there were some kids who were living really, really in poverty, could barely make it to school. And it's too easy to assume, because of where we live, that the need isn't there. It isn't the mega things that we've seen in the news recently, but sometimes it's almost as acute. And you don't know, you don't know what somebody's going through until you hang out with them and you find out a little bit because we're also good at putting on that veneer. I'd like to go back to the Bible passage, please. Can we look at the next slide, which is, so what do we say to try and get out of doing it? Uh, I've I put these up because they're all stuff that I've said. And the other side I've taken from the passage from the message, which we're going to look at uh, to, to finish with. Um, and it's really easy to, I've thought all these things, I've definitely said all these things to Jerry if he's suggested it. Um, and you, some of them may resonate. Uh, with you. Uh, one of our students um, and the team that last came out will know is, uh, preaches brilliantly. His name is Ijuku Emmanuel and uh, he shared, most recently shared the stage with Tasha when she spoke and uh, he quite often says, every few lines, he says what the Bible says is in the Bible it says so I thought I should take a leaf out of his book. We say, they don't actually kind of necessarily cancel each other out, but you can see where it's going. So we say things like, it won't be good enough. Like, I'm not a cook. You know, we're awash with cookery programs, and most of us are, you know, honestly, we're probably eating cheese on toast, aren't we, at home? So, you know, we say that. I read some brilliant notes on hospitality. I was chatting to Sim about them, and we, we have in our heads that um, hospitality needs to be, ta-da, like that. 
And it's not entertaining. It's not inviting people around for a dinner. It's not a dinner party. It's just, it can be just food or just a connection. It doesn't have to be anything fancy, which is a huge relief to me. Uh, it will cost too much. I can't afford it. Seriously. Invite six people to come around. This is a great cheat. I've done this. Invite six people to come around. You say, I'll provide the bread. I'll provide the baked potatoes. You bring the stuff to put on it. And actually, it costs you much less. You can save loads of money by inviting loads of people around. Um, it'll be weird. It'll be weird. You know, these people, seriously, I can't even talk to them on a Sunday. They make me uncomfortable. Then invite loads of people. It's like having other people's kids around to play. Eventually, they cancel each other out, and they'll all talk to each other, and you can just have a cup of tea in the kitchen and just, like, pour out the, you know, spread the jam on the scones or whatever. It's, you, do, it, you don't have to just invite one person or just, just, just get a mix. And that's why house group works, isn't it? Everybody sort of chats to each other. Sorry, connect group. It'll be too exhausting. And this is quite a key thing, because I think, oh, by Sunday, I'm too tired. Where does it say, practice hospitality on Sundays only? Do it when it's okay. I, I think things like the, the big breakfasts that people do, the getting together at odds and weird and wonderful times. Okay, if Sunday isn't your thing, don't do Sunday. It will be too awkward, as in those people don't, you know, I, I don't really connect with those in, in that way. I just don't, you know, that person has just lost someone. They've had a bereavement in their family. I can't invite them around. They'll ruin the whole... Absolutely not. That's the time when they may need something reached out to them. Or do what I do. If you think the conversation's been too, going, going to be too difficult, I did it with Nick and Peter. I have confessed to them. I did it with, uh, for a friend. Uh, a good friend of mine died last year. And I just immediately afterwards, well, what do I say to... What do I say to her bereaved husband and kids? So I did guerrilla hospitality, not Ugandan guerrillas, like guerrilla warfare hospitality. And I left stuff on the doorstep. And eventually Tom said, will you stop leaving stuff on the doorstep and knock on the door and come in and talk to us? But I was worried about getting it wrong. We're called to rejoice with those who rejoice and really share pain with those who are going through a tough time. The last, it's too short notice. I'll tell you about that one in a minute. There's, you know, short notice, you could just go and have a coffee, have a tea with someone who needs it sort of now, now. That's Ugandan. Now, now means right now. So love deeply. What does God say? What does the Bible say? In the message it says this. Love deeply. Don't quit. Be inventive in hospitality. Oh. Sim. That's for Christmas. Don't drink it all at once. No, bought especially. It's, no, just be inventive. Be a bit crazy. I saw that and thought of you. Schler. I won't give a bottle of wine in a meeting. God, dear. Help needy people. The needs, they're not necessarily going to be material or physical. But they may be just, in, they may be just inside. So... You know, get your spiritual antenna out. Who are the needy people? Don't burn out and don't quit. Sometimes you can get into that church thing of 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. Just be careful that you don't get overdone. Share the load. Rejoicing and mourning. 
surprise people with goodness and put other people's first. It could be that you've got to put your own exhaustion on hold or your own tiredness on hold because somebody's need just may be greater than yours. One of the most challenging, <laughs> challenging situations was not Ugandan particularly, and a lot of you will laugh at this point. Uh, one of the most challenging uh, issues to me for hospitality was Mike Lawson, who is now celebrating banqueting and feasting in heaven. Mike drove me mad. Um, I could get Judith and Mandy up here to Amanda, you know, to sort of share the chat about Mike. Mike would appear at the most awkward time, lived in Bracefield. Uh, and at the time, mostly Mike was sort of in his 60s going on 70, but really thought he was 40, in his 40s, rocking it with the ladies and could come at any time. He came on Alpha Course just to prove us all wrong. And the person who invited him to come on Alpha, uh, yeah, that fine, bring him next door neighbor. I've run out of things to say, I just need to bring him. And you can answer all the questions. And uh, she said, uh, just, oh, just one other thing. She said he's, um, he's cordon bleu trained. I was like, <laughs> you're joking, because Alpha Course food is like youth hostel food, isn't it? It's just like lasagna, pasta, baked potatoes, more baked potatoes, and ice cream, really. Oh, my word. Anyway, he came and argued, and at the end of the course, he was the only one, only one who made a commitment, and all the other people who were really keen to do Alpha all drifted off. And Mike just drove me nuts for about the next 10 years. Quite soon after, maybe even longer, quite soon after he had joined Alpha, he was diagnosed with cancer. And we seemed to do a lot of sort of like propping up. And that, I'm not saying that to sound virtuous, but it was really hard work at times. And Mike exposed <laughs> totally my hypocrisy and my, oh, lovely to see you. Come in, come to and it could, it could go on, it could go on for ages. But he taught me, one, people take you as they find you, and that's okay, be relaxed about that. And also, God works through our grumpiness. God works through us thinking, more tea? More, and he'd come in and criticize my cooking and criticize the state of the house and all this sort of thing. But he just became part of the extended table. And, uh, and when, when he died, there was this great big gap, I think, particularly in Judith's life at the time, because she was hands-on cleaning his house, washing his underwear, hosing him down, just like, it was unbelievable how much time he'd used up, but actually how much we'd had to grow. Because, you know, church is full of sandpaper people, we all have to sort of rub off on each other, don't we? But we learnt a lot. And it was good. And you have to let, you have to allow God. And Mike would then refer to, laughably, would refer to amazing hospitality in various houses and the welcome of the church, but amazing hospitality and family. And, and that, that's, what was, that's what was missing. So what isn't it? It's not a rotor. You can stop the clock now, Alex and Simon, because I'm just like wrapping up, okay? It's not a rotor, and we're really good. We're really good, I think, when you know, there's babies and crises and stuff, and the church really kicks in well with that. This is like just on the spot, odd things. Don't be in a rut about it. Don't feel it's anything like entertaining. Amazing proverb. I was, I was trying to, uh, uh, talking about, talking to the, talking to Sim about the passage. What's that passage in? What's that proverb? 
and it's um, a simple meal with love is better than a feast where there's hatred. Brilliant. That is the excuse for making it toast, cheese on toast, baked beans, yogurt if you're showing off. Any and every time. As, as it's to do with what's in here. You know, it says, he brought me to his banqueting table. His banner over me is love, not resentment and not why haven't you gone home already. And this is, you know, a simple meal, okay? Toast, a bowl of cereal with love is better than a three-course meal with all the wine glasses and all the knives and forks and all your showing off stuff where there is resentment, Christian obligation, all the things that we we put on okay just it's bible in the bible it says keep it simple okay no need to show off uh it's not it doesn't have to be just women organizing it, it can be a family thing get the kids organized with it one um single friend of ours would regularly invite the pastor and family round for food because he thought i bet they don't often get invited out and or do, do a, 10 people come, you will bring something, we'll just sit and eat. Be inventive. If the thought of food is just horrendous, find a different way. But as we move around this week, have a think. What could I do? That will be one of the questions, I think, in the Connect Group. What, what could I do? Or who could I get to know a little bit? And even if it's just a neighbor you haven't seen in a bit, and you leave something on the doorstep, you put a card, are you Okay. That's brilliant. I think be spontaneous and relaxed. God uses the prompting and the off-the-cuff things. He uses the prompting. It may not be. Sometimes we have an idea in our head and we think, no. And then you find yourself doing it, and it was a yes. So could we look at the, at the next passage and just... This is the message version, which is slightly different. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. That's putting other people first. Um, don't burn out. We'll just do, just do the first part of this passage. We won't do the second part. Don't, yeah, sorry, the, sorry the, next, the next slide, but stop there. Thank you. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master. Cheerfully expect and don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians and be inventive in hospitality. In a minute, um, I've uh, asked these wonderful PA guys to play a song, which is God of Justice, which is one of the songs that propelled us to go to Uganda. And um, I was listening to the words yesterday, and I thought this actually sums up what we need to, how we need to be with others. This sums up how we should listen to God. We must go. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.